Well, it is a privilege to be here in Port Hope, and it's good to new fellowship with some people here, good to see new faces as well, and we thank you for making the effort to be here today, and our desire is that we will hear the voice of the Lord today, and that we will be taught from his truth, and to that end, we turn to the book of Revelation, and the chapter number 2, Revelation chapter 2, my topic for this week is the seven churches of revelation and it's a wonderful series in which we discover god's will for the church and that's what we want to know god's will and to follow it then we will know blessing and our prayer is that through this we as individuals and collectively as a church will know god's will and put it into place in our lives i bring you greetings from our own church in Mockerfeld in northern ireland and They've already had their morning service uh, a few hours ago and I was able to watch in there and we do want to let you know we pray for you. We were praying last Tuesday evening in the prayer meeting for the congregation here for your minister who's a dear friend to our congregation and we have had many uh, precious memories of missions that he has conducted, souls who've been saved sitting and going on with the Lord in our congregation today and we rejoice in that and we do pray that the Lord will continue to bless his ministry here. And even this week, we'll know a real blessing with the Lord's presence. Let's just read for uh, our opening from Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labour, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast laboured, and not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Amen. And with God's word open before us, let's just pray for his blessing upon our word today. Heavenly Father, we thank thee and we praise thee for what has taken place in this service thus far. We thank thee, O Lord, for the singing of the psalm and of the hymn. Lord, we thank thee for the prayers that have been offered. We thank thee, Lord, for the announcements. And we pray, Lord, that now as we have come to thy precious word, that thou wilt open it afresh to us and open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. 
We thank thee for the truth of the word of God. And for that wonderful promise, thou shalt know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And Lord, we rejoice that there's freedom to worship our Savior today, and there's freedom to live in victory, and there is freedom to enjoy our position and our standing in Christ. And we pray that, Lord, this day, each of us will come to the Word of God. We will measure ourselves by the teaching of the Word of God. And if there are those things that are not right, it will be put right today. And we pray, Lord, that you will bring each to the place where they ought to be. And, Lord, that this day all will leave the house of God in Christ and also in the center of the will of God. Lord, touch our hearts today, we pray. Lord, we need thee. We need thy voice. We need to see our Savior. And therefore, we leave the rest of this meeting in thy hands. Empty me of self and sin. Fill me with thy spirit and give me help to be faithful to my Savior, to his precious word and to this congregation. And may God be glorified through what we say and what we do as we simply point away to Christ. We ask these things in Jesus' name for his eternal glory. Amen and amen. Now, the book of Revelation is one that has given rise to much debate, thought, commentaries, discourses, and there's often a fear surrounding this book. It does come at the end of the scripture, and it is remarkably different from the other New Testament books. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, are the four Gospels that detail the birth, the life, the ministry, the work, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come to the book of Acts, it is an historical account of the growth of the Christian church from the ascension of Christ and over the next number of years. The Holy Spirit had been promised. And in Acts, the Holy Spirit was given and we see how the Spirit of God used ordinary men and women. And as a result, many were saved and given over to the Lord. If you want to know what a spirit-filled church looks like, if you want to know what a church looks like that is knowing the blessing and the power of God, then you read Acts chapter 2 from verse 42 to the end. And you will find there that they're the marks of a spirit-filled church. And we ought to pray that our churches will have these marks in these days. It is important to keep that description of the church in Acts chapter 2 in our minds as we consider the seven churches in Revelation. Because when we compare them, we see that there are certain things missing in most of the churches and the Lord puts his finger upon them that they might come back to the place where they ought to be and know the blessing of God. Then in the books of Romans, through the book of Jude, we have the epistles or the letters which were written to churches and individuals. We've got the doctrine, we've got the practical application, the historical information that gives us some insight to what the church was like at that time. And then in the book of Revelation, we have a book of prophecy. Now, there are passages of this book that are difficult to understand. In fact, there is at least one item in this book that we will never know until the day and hour the Lord comes again. And yet there are many people debate over it, and that is when the Lord will come again. Of that day and hour, no man knoweth. So if you hear somebody saying, I know, you can be sure they're wrong, because the Lord has said, no man knoweth. But if we remember that Revelation is a part of God's holy scripture, 
then we must remember that what is true of the rest of the book is true of Revelation. And therefore, Revelation, in the first place and the most importantly, reveals Christ. Don't miss that. It reveals Christ. People sometimes like to go to it for a debate. But we ought to go to the book of Revelation, like every other book of the Bible, to see Christ. We know that he is the very theme of the book. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what we are looking at today, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we read this book and consider the truths of this book, and as we see Christ, it will be of spiritual benefit to us. We are blessed when we read this book. Our walk will be affected. Our worship will be affected. Our witness will be affected. And that's what we want. We want to have a walk and we want to have worship and we want to have a witness that honors the Lord. Now, for a small uh, moment, I just want to give you an outline of the book uh, that I read just as I was coming over on the plane. And certainly from chapter one to chapter three, we see Christ as the exalted priest king ministering to the churches. And that's a wonderful thing whenever God is ministering to the churches. May that be so today. Chapters 4 and 5, Christ is seen in heaven as the glorified Lamb of God, reigning on the throne. And we see the wonderful imagery of the, the saints of God gathered around the throne of God in heaven, singing, Worthy the Lamb. And truly God's people ought to just have a longing in their heart every time they read that passage to join the saints that have gone before and experience what they experience now. Chapter 6 through to chapter 18, Christ is seen as the judge of all the earth. Oh, we've many thrones today upon this earth. We've many presidents and rulers, but there's always a higher throne. There's always a higher throne, and every man who's in authority, every woman who's in authority, will give account to the King of kings and Lord of lords, and they will be judged according to this book. Chapter 19, Christ is seen as the conquering King of kings. And then chapters 20 and 21, Christ is seen as a heavenly bridegroom ushering his bride, the church, into the glorious heavenly city. We are reminded as we read these churches, about these churches, that the Lord knows all about them. And the Lord knows all about the individuals within them. And that's something we often forget. That's something that isn't maybe preached upon very much today, but the eye of the Lord goeth throughout the earth. He knows us all today. He knows who you are today. He knows who I am. He knows what this church is. He knows those who are saved and are walking with him. He knows those who are saved, yet have wandered. He knows those who are unsaved. That even this morning, should the breath leave their body, their soul will go from this building into the lost caverns of hell. God knows you this morning. God knows all about you. And my prayer is that you would know the will of God. And be obedient to it. I want us to look at Revelation 1 just for a moment before we come to the first church. Just to remind ourselves who is speaking. In Revelation 1 verses 1 through 8 we have the source of the revelation. And we've been told already in verse 1. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto him. To show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. Now, whenever we go down to verse number three, we read that there is a blessing for certain people in regards to this book. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep 
those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That's a very important verse. And essentially, we could write that over the scriptures in its entirety. What a verse to cover from Genesis to Revelation. Blessed are those that read, that hear, and keep. And the idea of the word hear is not just to listen to, but listen to with the, with the intention of responding and obeying. It's a listening for a message that you will obey and put into practice in your life. And therefore, if you want to be blessed, and of course the word blessed means happy. It means joyful. In fact, it means a multiplicity of happinesses. And therefore, if you want to be a joyful, blessed believer, read the book, hear the word of God, and put it into practice in your life. And the happiest person in this world, the most joyful person in this world today, is not the person with the biggest bank account, not the person with the biggest uh, seat of power, but the person who is in the center of the will of God. Is that where you are today? That's the place of blessing. And then in verse number four, we read, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ. And here we see what God gives to his church. Grace, and that's how God deals with all of us in grace, those things that we don't deserve. Peace, through Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through the work of the Trinity, as outlined here in this passage. We thank God for his peace. The word peace actually comes from a word in the original Greek, which means to join. And the only true peace we can have in this world is when we are joined to Christ by faith, united in Christ through the blood that was shed. In fact, the verse there speaks about peace coming from the seven spirits which are before the throne. And therefore, we simply say to you that that is a description of the Holy Spirit. The word seven uh, being a reference to the Holy Spirit and his perfection. The number seven being the number of perfection. And his work, the Holy Spirit's work, as we read in John, is to reveal Christ. It is to reveal Christ and through Christ alone there is grace and through Christ alone there is peace. Christ is presented in verse number five as the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. The faithful witness, that's the prophet. Christ, our great prophet. He is the one from whom the message comes. And then in the first begotten of the dead, we read of him as our representative and our substitute. The Christ was not the first one to rise from death because there were others in the scripture, even before Christ's death, that he brought back to life. However, he died as the substitute for sinners, as a representative of his people. And therefore, he is the first begotten from the dead. And because he lives, we live also in him. And we rejoice not only in a Christ who has died, but in a Christ who has risen again. One who walks and talks with his people. And then, of course, we read that Onto the prince of the kings of the earth. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Unto him that loved us, washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And you will notice that he has loved us. And that's our hope today, that there is a God who loves sinners. 
a God who has given his son to save sinners, washing us from sin in his own precious blood. Christ died. His blood was shed that we might be saved, making us priests and kings. And you know, praise God for this revelation that teaches us we are precious in his sight. Oh, we're lifted from the dunghills of sin to heavenly places in Christ. And what blessing there is to be a king and a priest unto God. But notice what it says at the start of verse number seven. Behold, he cometh. And that's our hope. Jesus is coming again. This world is not our home. This is not where we have to stay. Praise God. He will either call us from this scene of time. And in that moment, we close our eyes in death and open them in eternity, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And for us, that will be glory. Or we will hear the trumpet sound and we will see him coming. As the Bible says, every eye shall see. But either way, for us, it's glory. For us, it is promotion. For us, it is home. And I'm so glad Jesus has promised he is coming again. This is not the end. The best, praise God, is yet to be. Now, while the struggles of this earth will be past, and so they will, and I often think of dear ones who we've known and we've loved and they've gone to glory, oh, the pain and the sorrow that we feel on this side. But if we could only see from the other side, from heaven's point of view, no tears there. Joy, glory, Peace, loving the Lord with an intensity we cannot experience down here. Knowing what it is to be without sin. Knowing what it is to behold the Savior. Death is simply a stepping stone from time to eternity. It's a leaving behind all the things that weigh us down down here to go to the eternal freedom of heaven. And therefore, We rejoice in this truth. He is coming. He's coming. Are you ready for it? Are you ready? We don't know, but we are told in Scripture that we're not to boast ourselves of tomorrow. We do not know what a day may bring forth. And therefore, I ask you, dear man, dear woman, young person this meeting, are you ready? Should Christ come within the hour, where would you be? Would you be ready in praising him? Or would you be calling for the mountains and the rocks to fall upon you? Wishing you had never been born. Because you know Christ has come. Opportunity's over. And you're bound for hell. Well, let's come to this church now. In uh, Revelation chapter 2, we simply just want to think about the one from whom this message was given. And whenever we come to this church, we realize that the church of Ephesus has an angel. Now that word angel simply means a minister and it is certainly the one who is bringing the word of God. Now it's important to notice one little thing. Uh, Whenever we look at chapter 1 verse 16 we read, and he had in his right hand seven stars and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And I just must mention that before we come any further, because in this passage and in this revelation, we have the Lord who is walking among the candlesticks. 
We read of that. Uh, verse number 12, I turned to see the voice that spake to me and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment, down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So here we have the Lord who is walking among the candlesticks. The candlesticks represent the church. And our Lord walks among his people. And our Lord is in the place where he is worshipped and where he is preached and where he is loved. And we see that he has seven stars in his hand. And it talks about the two-edged sword going out of his mouth and talks about his countenance. Well, the countenance of the Lord that is spoken of there in verse number 16, his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. That is talking of his holiness, of his purity, of his beauty. Because I'll tell you, whenever you see the Lord, truly see the Lord, it's holiness. It's beauty, it's purity, it's glory. And many people today, and they speak so loosely about the things of God. They take the name of the Lord and they use it as a swear word. But whenever the scales are taken off our eyes, you know what we see? We see the beauty of Christ. We see out of his mouth a two-edged sword that speaks to us of the word of God. Reminding us that God's word has been given from himself. It's his communication. And therefore, when a preacher stands in the pulpit and reads from the word of God, he is not giving his message. He's not giving his uh, truth. He is giving the truth of the God of this universe. And how many people today will gather to hear a president or a, or a, a queen to give a message? And how few will open the word to hear the voice of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But these seven stars are the angels of the church. And the word angel simply means a messenger, and the minister is a messenger. And the messenger is someone who brings a message that has already been given. We're not supposed to try and think about what we can bring to people, but we come to the Word of God and bring what God has already given. Therefore, we declare God's truth. We preach God's truth because we know that it is true. And what does a star do? Or what does, yes, what does a star do? It shines. And that's important. And that is the duty of the preacher of the word of God. He must be saved. He must be shining for the Lord. And he must shine forth the word of the Lord. And it's wonderful to be reminded in verse number 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. That's where the people of God are, in the right hand of God. And that's where every minister ought to be, saved and in the hands of God. I don't know about your land, but I know at home, in Northern Ireland, we have people standing in our pulpits who are not saved. They get angry whenever salvation is mentioned to them. They say that's only for extremists. They say uh, that's taking things too far. And all they want to do is to preach a message that will make them popular and cause them very little trouble. Friend, we need people in pulpits today who are saved. Who are shining forth the message of the gospel. Who are willing to say, thus and thus saith the Lord. And if we have that, then we know that the Lord will move. It says this, these things, verse number one of chapter two, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst 
of the golden candlesticks. I know thy works. I know. I know. The word know means to behold or to perceive or to consider. And God knows all about you and God knows all about your works and God knows all about the works of the church. And maybe there's someone who's doing a lot for the cause of Christ, but few know about it. And maybe no one really knows that the effort that you're making, maybe your work is a behind the scenes work and you're not standing at the front, but you're someone who is laboring for the Lord. And maybe at times you feel there's no great glory or merit in it. But let me tell you this, if something is done for the Lord, in the strength of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord. The Lord knows about it. And you will be rewarded for the work that you have done. There's no work that's too small, but it can be done to the glory of God and for his honor. And the Bible tells us that even a cup of cold water given in Jesus' name will be rewarded. But there are people who are too big and too proud and too haughty to do anything for the Lord. And our task and our duty is to pray that God would keep us humble enough to be used in his hand. To keep us in a place where our lives will be of use in the work of the gospel. And whether we open a door or sweep a floor, whether we turn on a light switch, whether we play a piano, whether we preach the gospel, whether we invite someone, whether we pray for the work, whatever it is that we do, If we do it unto the Lord, God is glorified. We will be rewarded. But here's the truth. God knows. Don't you worry about letting man know what you're doing for the Lord. Don't you worry about telling people how long you pray for or you do this or you do that. The Lord knows all about it. And the Lord will honor those that honor him. And not only does he say he knows I work, but he talks about their labor and about their patience. Now, the word labor there means laborious toil. Here were people that were working. They were not lazy. They were not lazy. If there was a call to do something, they were there willing to work. They were patient. And that word has the idea of patient, enduring, remaining in the place. And how we're blessed whenever we hear of people who are faithful. And when we hear of people who patiently endure. They're not flighty. They don't run everywhere, but they're faithful to the work where God has called them to. And those are two things that we need to be as God's people. We need to be laboring and we need to be faithful in the place God calls us to be. And there we will be greatly blessed. I remember hearing of someone who said to a minister, I don't get anything out of church. And the minister looked at them and said, are you serious? He says, I don't get anything out of this church at all. And the minister said, so you don't get anything out of the church which you roll into late, leave immediately without speaking to anybody, attend out of the eight services in a month on a Sunday, you attend about two of them, you don't get anything out of it? He says, of course you don't. You're not here. You're not part of it. If you want to be blessed in the work of God, be in the work of God. Be a part of it. Commit yourself to it. God blesses it. Is it always easy? No. Is there a perfect church? No. But there's a church that's perfect for you to be in. 
and God will lead you to that place. Pray for that. And when God shows you, you be there with all of your heart. And then it says something else in verse number two. How thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And here we find that there are those who have come into this church and they're described as evil. They're described as evil. And this church has made a decision and they have realized before God that they cannot accept a person who is still in their sin and bring them into membership in their church. They can't have fellowship with them. Only a person who is truly saved can be in fellowship and in membership of a congregation. They've realized that they cannot listen to men who are not saved. That's what they said. Oh, they say we're apostles, we're representatives of Christ, we preach the gospel. But they knew by listening, no, 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 this isn't right. These men are not saved. They're not the Lord's representative at all. And here's a church that is seeking to maintain the purity of the church, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. They want people who are saved. They want people who will be faithful to the work of God. And you know, only a person who is saved will enjoy the preaching of Christ and the promotion of Christ within a church. You see, there are churches today and they're packed by their thousands, but Christ isn't preached. He's mentioned, but he's not preached according to the word of God. There are many people today and they're preaching a message that promotes man. It's a feel-good message. They come out feeling so good about themselves. They come out feeling, I can do anything. I can conquer anything. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're saved, there are many passages of God's word and promises you can claim. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. But they take verses that got out of context and say, you can do anything. That's not what that verse means. It means I can do all things through Christ and all things that Christ has asked me to do. And we're not called to uh, preach a message that exalts man, but we're called to preach a message that exalts Christ. And the gospel does not exalt man. And for those who are not saved, to listen to the preaching of the gospel is a hard thing. Because it tells you how wicked you are. It tells you how sinful you are. It tells you where you're bound for eternity. It tells you that God is angry with you. It tells you all of those things. It doesn't build you up. Why do unsaved people not come to gospel preaching churches very often? Because they know what they're going to hear. And that's not a comfortable thing. And therefore, whenever we see people coming into a church, we pray that God will open their eyes to see that what the preacher is preaching is truth. Not to get angry, not to get offended, that is the fleshly response, but to realize that the Lord in his mercy has given them an opportunity to hear a word of warning that their souls may be saved from an eternity in hell. In verse number four, we are told, Thou hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake has laboured and hast not fainted. And what's that telling us? Well, thou hast borne. That means has taken and carried up. 
The thought is that they have taken in, supported, and sought to help or carry those that are true. In other words, there's that idea we're coming together as a church, and those who are saved are truly faithful. We are encouraging each other together in the Lord. That's what the church of Jesus Christ is, bearing one another's burdens, praying for those in need in your work, supporting those, putting your arm around those who need just that comfort and that encouragement. In our modern day, I suppose we could say, it's having the phone call. I'm praying for you. How are you keeping today? Even the text message, even the email. I was just thinking about you. Here's a little verse that will encourage you today. That's what it is to bear one another's burdens, to encourage each other in the faith. Everybody goes through trials. Everybody goes through hardships. And this is a major work. But you know where the most of this work takes place? In the building. In the building. As the pastor stands behind the pulpit and as he preaches the word of God, that is the feeding of the flock. That's the word of God that will strengthen. That's the word of God that will rebuke. That's the word of God that will lead and give direction. That's the word of God. And that's what we need to do and continue to do. And we thank God for 28 years this has been done in this place. The word of God has been preached. The people of God have been born up. They've been taken up. And praise the Lord, a work has been done for eternity. This is God's desire for his church. Not just that we would hear a word somewhere, but that we would commit ourselves to the gathering together with brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might grow in the things of God. God promotes the unity of the New Testament church, the local New Testament church. And friend, if you want to be blessed and be a blessing in the work of God, be committed to the place where God has called you. It says there, for my name's sake has labored. And this people have labored through the power of God on account of the name of the Lord and because of the name of the Lord. And what a challenge to every believer today. Are you laboring through Christ's power? Are you laboring on his account? Are you laboring because of what he's done for you? Have you this week sought to pray and seek the Lord for those in your family who are not saved? Have you prayed for your neighbors and your friends? Have you gone to the door and invited them to come to the house of God? Have you done anything this week because of what Christ has done for you? I love that hymn, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross. And the verse says, Near the cross, O Lamb of God, bring its scenes before me. Help me live from day to day with its shadow o'er me. And we need to live in the shadow of the cross. What does that mean? It means never forget who and what you are. Never forget every morning you get up, you've been saved by the grace of God. You're a child of God. You're not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God. And each evening, whenever you come to your time to lay your head upon the pillow, remember who you are. Start the day at Calvary. End the day at Calvary. Sadly, there are men and women who are saved and they've grown cold And what has happened. They've forgotten who they were. They've forgotten the scriptures. They've forgotten to pray. They've forgotten the Lord. And therefore... They do not make their decisions based upon who they are, their identity. 
And your identity today, if you're saved, is in Christ. And therefore that dictates what you do and how you do it. Christ must be the motivation for your service or you will quit. Christ must be the strength for your labor or you will faint. And this is why they have not fainted because they were working in the power of the Lord. Now, whenever we come to verse number four, we read these words. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. Nevertheless, something means on the other hand. Having praised you for these things, I have something against you. Thou hast left thy first or thy chief love. And whenever we think about this passage, we realize that they were working and laboring. And they started so well and they were still continuing to do the work and the labor. But they were missing something very, very important. Something that they didn't even realize they had missed. And that was the love that was first in their heart for the Lord. Now you remember whenever you were saved. Dear believer, you remember the moment whenever Christ saved you. And there was a joy and a peace and an awe that came into your heart. I can't believe it's true. I'm saved. I'm ready for heaven. My sins are dealt with. But we all have to be honest. There's times that love has grown cold. And then times it's been revived again. Often by the preaching of the word of God and the reading of the word of God and prayer. And that keeps us on fire for the Lord. But there are times we've been careless. There have been times we've been indifferent. There have been times we've been lazy. And our love has waxed and waned. And whenever we come to this point, we realize there are people who are laboring. But they're not loving. They're laboring, but they are not loving. They left Loving the Lord. The Lord hadn't changed. The Lord doesn't change. But we have. And we're reminded in Psalm 139 that the psalmist prayed the words, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And that is a prayer that we ought to pray as God's people. That's a prayer that God will answer. And this morning we need to pray, Lord, is my love for you less than what it once was? Have I forgotten? Have I wandered? Am I cold? Oh, yes, I'm working. Yes, I'm serving. Yes, I'm laboring. Yes, I'm trying to help other people. But Lord, is my heart Right. You see, before you can help anyone else and before you can minister to anyone else and as a church before you can reach anyone else, the very fundamental part has to be right. Your heart has to be right before God. And they left their first love. Wonder what the reason was. 
I wonder, were they too busy? You know, sometimes God's people can be too busy. And if you're too busy to spend time with the Lord and you're too busy to pray and you're too busy to simply worship the Lord, you're too busy and something has to go. And I know the flesh would say, oh, that's dishonoring to the Lord if I give this up or I give that up. Not at all. You honor the Lord first when your heart is right and all else will flow from that. I wonder, was it sin had crept in that they were not willing to say no and turn away from I wonder, was it a hurt that had come into their heart because of something that happened in a church? And whenever we're dealing with individuals or times, whenever things happen and maybe we're discouraged, maybe we're hurt, and instead of dealing with it in the biblical way, as Matthew describes, how to go to the person and get the matter dealt with that we might go forward, people take a grudge and then sometimes they take a grudge against the church and then the next thing they're way off somewhere. And the devil, the devil laughs as he sees people who ought to be fellowshipping together at odds with one another over silly things, over things that will not matter in eternity. Whatever it was, they left. But here's the question that we have to ask. What did they substitute that love with? Because don't forget They had taken time to read the Bible. They were faithful in their church. They were praying. But now they've left their first love and their heart has grown cold. So what has been the substitute? Has it been service? Service is no substitute for the love for God. Now we do service out of love for God. But if we've no love in our heart, then that service is empty. It's cold. It becomes a chore. It becomes a burden. What is it that they have filled their heart with? Has it been something they're watching, following? Has it been a sport? Has it been an activity? Has it just been a a passion for business or a passion to make money? What is it that their heart had gone after? We don't know. But my next question is this. What did they gain by leaving their first love? What did they gain? Oh, they gained nothing, but they lost much. They lost much. And we do. We lose much when we wander from the Lord. Andrew Bonner, that uh, preacher in Scotland in the 1800s, said these words. Has leaving your first love made you happier, holier, truer, stronger, more noble, earnest man? Has it disarmed the world's enmity? Has it, has it fought against the devil? Has it nerved you for the battles with the principalities and powers for hell? And the answer is no. The answer is no. And the sad reality is, it's often that we don't realize it's happening. It happens so gradually. And we think of David in the Old Testament and his sin with Bathsheba. And it turns out that he ended up committing adultery. He ended up lying. He ended up facilitating murder. And yet he spent over a year out of fellowship with God. Over a year without that sweetness, that peace, that joy 
until the day and the hour Nathan came and he pointed at him. He said, thou art the man. Thou art the man. And God broke David that day. And we read of exactly what God, uh, or how God broke David because we read of his psalm in Psalm 51, of his psalm of repentance. And here is one of the things that he prayed. He prayed, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And you know what that teaches me? A man or a woman, a Christian, can be living without the joy of God's salvation for days, weeks, months or years and not even realize it until the Lord taps them just like he tapped David that day. Until the Lord sends someone to say, thou art the man. And then all of a sudden they realize they're missing out on the joy of the Lord. It's great to serve the Lord. But it's better to love the Lord. That's more important. Because when your heart's right, your service will naturally flow. And that service will be honoured because it's done in sincerity and it's done out of a heart of love and it's done as an act of worship unto the Lord. Therefore, what I'm saying to you as dear believer, before you go any further this morning, are you in love with Christ? Is your heart where it ought to be? Is your heart often lifted up as you walk through the day saying, thank you, Lord, for this blessing. Thank you, Lord, for your protection. Thank you, Lord, for providing that for me. Lord, thank you. Are you in fellowship continually with the Lord as you walk through life's journey? Well, here's what the Lord says to this people. Remember. Remember. Take your mind back to what it used to be. Take your mind back to when you sat in meetings that maybe lasted hours and you walked out saying, I wish that could have gone on longer. That's often a sign that your love for the Lord is failing whenever you get agitated. If a meeting goes on beyond what time you think it should go on. He says, remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you used to be. Remember what you used to be and then repent. And the word repent simply means to change one's mind or purpose. To change one's mind or purpose. And friend, if your attitude at the minute is church is a chore, reading God's words is an effort, prayer takes up too much time and you just simply do it to tick a box, friend, repent of that. Prayer is communicating with the one who loved you and gave himself for you. Reading the word of God is listening to the truth that will give you freedom and victory in this world. Coming to God's house is a place where you fellowship together, where you can grow, where you can worship the Lord together. Repent, change your mind of these things. Don't get caught up with the nonsense of the world or the lies of hell regarding the things of God. There are even Christians today and have the attitude. Oh, well, church is boring. What? Boring? I'll tell you, when the Holy Spirit comes in and does a work and turns a life upside down and a family upside down and a, turled, uh, a, a town upside down, friend, that's not boring. That's mighty to be in the presence of God. And if you come to God's house with your heart prepared and saying, Lord, speak to me, you'll not leave without the voice of the Lord. You'll not leave without the message. My friend, if you roll in 
out of bed, into the car, into the church, and you're not waking to about at least 20 minutes into the service, what can you expect to get out of that? But the heart that loves the Lord will be up, ready, prepared, having asked the Lord to bless before they've even left the house and come into God's house expecting the blessing of God. Is that your heart or do you need to fall in love with the Lord again? Do you need to repent from those things you were doing? And then what does it say? Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works. Do the things that you did at the start. Be enthusiastic. Be excited about the things of God. Make the point of reading the word. Make the point of prayer. Make the point of getting into Christian fellowship and company that will encourage you in the things of God. Do what the Lord has called you to do. Love him. Love him. And God has given us a means of grace to cultivate that love. And then when our heart is right, then we can serve him. You know, no one has any right to being in the Lord's work or service unless they are doing the Lord's will. And no church has the right to claim to be doing a work for the Lord if they're not doing it God's way. And sadly today there are places and they say they're doing something in the name of the Lord and they're disregarding the scriptures. They're preaching something that's contrary and therefore that is not of the Lord. You can put whatever name you want above the door. But what is the thing that I that the Lord highlights in this church, his church that needs to be changed, there must be a love for Christ. And friend, that's it. There must be a love for Christ. Because those who don't love Christ will not love the gospel. They'll start to get hard-hearted. And whenever an old say a person comes into the place or maybe someone walks in and they don't look the same as they do or they don't act the same as the Christians in the place, they think, oh, what are they doing here? We don't want them here. Friend, that's the people you want. You want unsaved people in the house of God to hear the gospel. But I'll tell you, if you're not in love with the Lord, there'll be no joy in your heart to see the unsaved come in and bring down the name of your church. Those who don't love Christ will not love the brethren and sisters in Christ. And I'll tell you, you can tick every box, you can dot every I and you can cross every T. But if you cannot have fellowship with a brother and sister in the Lord, there is something wrong in your heart. Whoever you are. And there's consequences for that. Because the Bible says, God commanded the blessing where brethren dwell together in unity. And you know what you find? The people who are going on with the Lord and they're dwelling together with the Lord, they're fellowshipping together. The Lord's blessing them richly. And then you have a few people at the side. Huh, there's no fellowship in this place. And they're out of fellowship with the Lord. They're out of fellowship with everybody else. And friend, it just seems to be that nothing pleases them. We need to love Christ. Ere we would be a stumbling block in the church. Ere we would be the one to cause hurt and offence. Ere we would be the one that would be a discouragement to the pastor or the leadership. Those who don't love Christ will not love the lost. Those who don't love Christ will not love purity. Those who don't love Christ will not love unity. Those who don't love Christ will not love prayer. And we could go on and on, couldn't we? 
How do I love the Lord? How do I get back to loving the Lord the way I ought to? I go back to Calvary. And writer said, I remember the first time I talked with the Lord. As I fell on my knees in the night, but the pleasures and treasures of things here on earth, they've taken the cross from my sight. But I long to get back to the place I once was and to be what I know I should be. I just can't stay away any longer. Take me back, Lord, to Calvary. Take me back to the place where I started. Break these chains. Lord, let me go free. I can't stay away any longer. Take me back, Lord, to Calvary. There's a warning here. Or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place except thou repent. Friend, that speaks to us that the very presence of the church, the very influence of the church would be removed. You go to Ephesus today and look for the church. It's not there. There are ruins. God took away their influence. Friend, we want to live in this world with an influence, don't we? We want to, our lives to count for eternity. The longer we live, we realize the shorter we have. We realize how quick life is. And often we don't realize early enough to make it count. But may God give us grace to realize time is short. Eternity is sure. And our lives can count for eternity if we're giving them over to God. And verse number six, but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And here is a very encouraging thing because they hate certain things that the Lord hates. And some people say, oh, the Lord hates. No, 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 that can't be. Christians hating something. No, 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 that can't be. The Bible tells us that there are seven things that the Lord hates. And if we will be like our God and our Savior, we too will hate those things. Pride and sin and all those things that are mentioned. We haven't time to turn to the passage in Proverbs today, but certainly we do know this, that a person who loves the Lord and is walking with God and is growing with Christ will love more the things that Christ loves and will hate more the things that Christ hates. And that's a mark of their salvation. It's a mark of their growth. And praise God, it's a mark that they're in touch with God. They love the Lord. Don't ever get to the stage in life, well, I know the Bible says this, but you know, you've got to understand where I'm coming from. No, you don't. You don't have to understand where anybody's coming from. We come to declare the word of God. Do you realize that on the day we stand before the Lord, this is the book by which we'll be judged. This very book. It's not what so-and-so said at whatever church. It's not what a denomination decided. It's what God declares. And I dare not step outside this book and say, but you need to do this and you need to do that. There has to be a book, chapter and verse to back it all up. And this is what the Lord says. Thou hast left thy first love, therefore you remember and you repent and you return. And we're left with a promise. He that hath an ear to, let, to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God.
Of course, we see the picture there, the tree of life. Now, where have we heard of that before? And we know what that is talking about. We have the allusion to the tree in the Garden of Eden. And he is the one who is the author of life, isn't he? He's the author of natural life. He is the giver of life. He is the giver of spiritual life. He's the giver of eternal life. And from him are the blessings or the fruits of life, grace and peace and joy and all of those things, the comfort of the word of God, the strengthening of the truth of God, the satisfying of the presence of God. Those things are blessings which are given to us by the giver of life and they're available for us and they're described here as a tree of life. It's as if we can go to our Savior and take and take of the satisfaction we need and the joy that we need and the direction we need and the wisdom we need and the peace that we need and this, all of those things. And friend, he will never fail, he will never diminish, but we will prosper as we take of the fruits of the tree of life, the blessings that he has purchased for his people upon the cross of Calvary. Friend, we will eternally feast of those blessings in heaven. But don't wait until you get there. Start today. Oh, there's a peace that we cannot know till we get to heaven, but there is the peace of God that passeth understanding for today. And we go through all of those blessings. Therefore, as we conclude, do you love the Lord? Are you where you ought to be? Or friends, you need to bow your head and say, Lord, take away the things that have made me wander. Lord, reveal to me the things that have made me cold. And stir in me a love and a longing for my Savior that will cause me to walk aright, to worship aright, and to be a witness for him. May God grant it for his glory today.